up on your electronic devices or pay attention in some way to uh, Luke chapter 1. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Please be seated. What a text. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us now. This is exciting. We get to hear your word and look into it and think, and your Holy Spirit is with us, guiding us. So help us during this great moments that we have ahead of us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your work in our hearts, even now as we approach your sacred text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's a good quotation from G.K. Chesterton. He said, in some context, I just saw it as a quote and liked it so much I use it all the time in my email stuff. If you get an email from me, you're going to see this. Um, he said, there is one thing which gives radiance to everything. It is the idea of something around the corner. One thing which gives radiance to everything. The idea of something around the corner. What's there? 
what's happening, what's coming, what's, what's it going to be. It's talking a little baseball since we've got Tom with us. We've got two Yankees fans out there, and we were talking about the signings of Derek Jeter and Rodon, and I've made my predictions of their center fielder, the old Cardinal, and how he's going to do. And we thought about uh, baseball seasons coming. And a lot of times in the context of baseball, as a kid I would even see this, uh, one phrase. You ever seen this phrase? Hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. Well, that's from a, a statement by a, a, man, a poem or an a, a essay written by Alexander Pope. Not the Pope in Rome, but Alexander Pope. He wrote, Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. And there's always opening day. And everybody starts zero and zero. And you never know what can happen. There's hope. We're, we're catching hope in this text Uh, Luke is accelerating into something positive. Some joy is coming. There's hope. Now that old nasty guy Nietzsche wrote this. Hope is, in reality, is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. Spoken like a Nietzschean guy. Uh, Don't let him steal your joy and you you don't want him to steal your hope because your joy is in your hope. The hope of something good. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll clear, our, we'll clear our, our minds with that. Here's Dostoevsky. To live without hope is to cease to live. There is always hope. There's always a chance. There's always something. There's a God of hope. It's been a while. Some of you guys, some of you guys haven't heard this. This was a good story. Um, good, good incident. The guy was sentenced to death in the old days. The king sentenced him to death for something. He probably had it coming. And he said, your, your majesty, if you will let me have one year, don't, don't fill out the sentence for one year. Give me one year to live, and I will make that horse you're sitting on laugh. I will make that horse rear back and just laugh. And the king was intrigued by this. And he delayed the sentence by that year. And as they were leading that prisoner away, the other prisoner said to him, why would you say that? You know horses don't laugh. And the man said, well, a lot can happen in a year. The king may die, I may die, or the horse may laugh. There's hope. There's something. And we get a text this morning of hope. See the hope of the Messiah that's been promised in all this darkness. Some joy is coming. That's the message loud and clear in our passage this morning. This sad world lives where it's always winter and never Christmas, never Christ Mass. We get to celebrate the Christ child. And the next thing on God's docket, we've seen it set up. We haven't been in Matthew this year. We've been going through Luke. Matthew's got it, and, and, and both of these things are, are true, and they're, they're happening at once. And basically, the last thing on God's docket is this. Check this off. Check this off. Check this off. Okay, here comes John the Baptist. The next thing is Jesus is coming. Hope. And we're going to see that in Zechariah's speech. Uh, three things this morning. 
a unique baby, a unique moment in history, and a unique salvation. A unique baby. Now, uh, this is a pickup from, from the story we, we saw uh, in verses 1, 5 through 25. And we remember Zechariah going in and, and uh, offering the incense and Gabriel coming to him and, and telling him that his wife, who was uh, way beyond childbearing age, would finally have that baby that, that was promised. And Zechariah didn't believe it. And... Uh, where he should have gone out and been able to freely proclaim, guess what just happened in here? He, he could have gone out and done that, but he wasn't going to do that. He was going to doubt. And so the angel essentially said, you're in time out. You can't speak. You're mute. Paul and I were in a store up in uh, Stockbridge after the, the Norman Rockwell Museum a few months ago. And we saw we went into these little country stores, you know, the general stores, which I, I like those up there. And there was a plaque, and I thought I should buy it and hang it on the wall, but Paula thought she should buy it and hang it on the wall. Um, it said, I didn't mean to push your buttons. I was just looking for the mute. Um, um, God hit the mute button on Zechariah, and he had to stop and think. And we have this pregnancy then. We see where Elizabeth hid herself uh, away for these five months. And a lot of people didn't even know she was pregnant. How was she going to explain it, especially uh, with a husband who couldn't even speak? If you read what they had for their little tablets and, and how they were interesting to, to, to imagine the tablet that, that he had to write on. Um, we don't even know how well, we, we know Elizabeth was, was highly intelligent, but we don't know in that day and age even how educated uh, she would have been because it was a, a, a bad cycle where they didn't educate the, the little girls like they did the boys in those days. And so how was their communication? You know, you picture him coming home pant- pantomiming. He can't speak. Was he going, you, you know, you, you're going to be pregnant? How, how, did he, how did he communicate that? And, and, and what was her thought about that? And then finally, uh, her body starts showing signs, and, she, and she's feeling that little movement, and that baby's kicking, and all of a sudden, here comes the baby. This is a unique baby. He was foretold by the angel Gabriel. His mission was told. He was going to go before the coming Messiah and get people ready. Scientifically, it was unheard of. She wasn't able to have kids. Obviously, they weren't able to have kids. And all of a sudden, way past the time, here she is. And the baby's born. Now, when Luke gives the the declaration of it in verse 57... It's pretty commonplace. It's just like, uh, like, like, like what happens. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. So when the time was ready, there it was. And Luke presents that, that fact of the baby's birth in kind of a matter-of-fact way. Probably some of you are thinking and can't, can't help but think about Paul's statement of fact in Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Just a matter of fact, when the time was ready, this is no Braxton Hicks going on here. This is, no, this is coming. Boom. Here comes John. Or I should say, here comes the baby. who They all wanted to name Zachariah. Some things the narrative picks up that were unusual to those neighbors. 
Uh, some of them you remember, you, you, you realize might not have even known she was pregnant. All of a sudden they hear the news she's pregnant, going to have a baby because she's disappeared. And then here it is. And so it's like it happened yesterday to them. Boom, she's pregnant. Here's the baby. And they all show up at her house. Verse 58 and following. The neighbors and the relatives heard what? That the Lord had shown great mercy to her. These were people who were devout. They followed the law. Eighth day, circumcision. Uh, Obviously, Zechariah couldn't even speak after the baby's born. The eighth day, the circumcision, is when we finally get him speaking. People said, and maybe some, some writer, some commentator thought, uh, speculatively, maybe it was like the sympathy thing. Man, Zechariah can't speak, but little baby Zechariah Jr., he'll be able to speak, and he'll be able, let's name him Zechariah, maybe a, a sympathy thing. And so all the neighbors and, and relatives and all the people are, are, are giving this baby the name. And Elizabeth says, no, his name's going to be John. They're like, why John? Why John? What's in a name? But why John? You don't even have anybody named that. That's out of the blue for us. Well, we'll get Zachariah. He'll set, he'll set that Elizabeth straight. They obviously haven't had the right, haven't looked at the baby name book and, and chosen their, their baby names together. But Zachariah will, will want him his son named after him. And Zechariah gets his pad and he writes, his name is John. And as soon as he did that, which the reason he said that is because Gabriel told him, the kid's name is going to be John. As soon as he did that, all of a sudden he can speak again. It all comes back. And he opens his mouth and he praises God. We'll see what he says in a moment. Uh, For right now, for our purpose, uh, look at the effect on the populace. Um, Luke, whether it's in Luke or in Acts, Luke records, and he's kind of a sociologist as much as a a historian. He's all these things. And he writes a lot about the effect of actions greater population. He's looking at it from that historical view, and and he says uh, here again, uh, this is a clue to how he's going to write saying, the people, when John was born, here's how the people reacted. How did they react? They reacted this way. It says, uh, verse 65, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Boy, wildfire. The, 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 the coconut telegraph is uh, the, 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 the spreading of the gossip. They didn't need to have a, a phone they didn't even need to text. They didn't need to put a picture up on. on. They just talk. It, it spread like wildfire throughout. Something crazy just happened. Fear came on all. It was a weird pregnancy, though a normal birth. It was a weird insistence on an unlikely name. And then that weird recovery by Zachariah. And then he was able to tell them. And we know that he surely did say, okay, now I can really tell you what happened in the temple. And they would have been hearing in detail for the first time what happened when Gabriel appeared to him. And they would have been hearing about the coming Messiah from his lips that his son would, that his son would, would proclaim later on. And it was a startling thing. And people say, no, I saw it. I saw Zechariah. I was there. And probably it's like uh, Woodstock, where everybody, 
they say all the people that were at Woodstock, probably 10 million people were there by all the people that claimed to be there. Um, uh, maybe a lot more people claimed to be there at John's birth telling the story, but the story went around. People said, this happened. I saw it. People were filled with fear. This is not the only time people have been filled with fear at something God did. In Acts 5, 5 and 11, people were filled with fear when Ananias uh, lied uh, and, and about what he had done. And it says they were filled with fear in verse Acts 5, 5. Acts 5, 11, Sapphira comes in. Uh, she reinforces the lie, not knowing what happened to her husband. And the people were filled with fear. Uh, Luke records the mood and the attitude of, of the populace. Uh, Jesus, later on in Luke chapter 5, verse 26, Jesus healed the paralytic and said, your sins are forgiven, take up your, your bed and walk. And the same word translated to us that amazement sees them all. That people are talking. This was an amazing birth. A unique birth. And he said, we've got to keep an eye on this guy. We've got to keep an eye. This, this, something's going on with this kid. Keep an eye on him. And, and, and the old timers down the road, uh, when John came to prominence, they would have told their kids, yeah, I remember that. I remember, yeah, that, that, that's, we knew something was going to happen. And all of a sudden, John, who's been in the wilderness till it's time to come out, pops out. And people remember this story because they're watching him because something was unique about him. And here's what I love. Look at verse 66. For the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with John. Called an anthropomorphism. Anthropos meaning man. If you've watched any science fiction show, uh, you'll have a character that will morph into different things, become this, become that. Uh, that's where you get the word morph, uh, or, or how we understand that. Uh, and anthropomorphism is is way we describe God, or the way we should say the way God describes himself. God doesn't have an actual hand, but God's trying to, un- to, to explain to us that his hand is on us in, in ways that we can, can understand. So using a human term to help us understand God. This is not the first time this imagery, this anthropomorphism has been used. A um, couple of places in the scripture uh, of many. Isaiah 31, verse 3. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. Egypt representing the world. And God says, when the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. There's something about the hand of God being on the lives of his people. Remember the chair of prayer of and I just say it the way my mom read me the Bible stories, Jabez. Other people go Jabez. It's probably the way it's supposed to be. But Jabez, Jabez, whatever. First Chronicles 4.10. That prayer, uh, Jabez prays that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm. What we're talking about is God's active presence in the life of his people. God's active presence, the active presence of the power of God. And I'm here to tell you, that is not limited to John the Baptist. God's hand is there in your life too, Christian. You can trust. We fall into our fear. 
I'm guilty. Wait a minute. God's hand. God's hand. God's working. God is, is present. It's not unique to John the baptizer, but it's for all God's people. And God, your hand is with me when I even do what John the Baptist did and point people to a right relationship with you through Jesus. So not only was this a unique baby, but this was a unique time in history, a unique period in history. Now note the change in Zechariah. Uh, we won't go to it, but maybe you've read that. I, I, liked a, I liked this part of the story. I put it in the worship folder. Even. I put a Daryl Bach quote in there. Uh, Zechariah failed when he was presented with something. Mary succeeded. She, she had faith. But you know what? All of us are probably more Zechariah-like than Mary-like in our faith. And look what God did. And Zechariah was right there. That's a pretty good comeback. To, to, to have, to, to, to doubt, to be stricken with, with muteness, uh, to think about it for those nine months, and then when you're able to talk, uh, that, that's good. And all of us, even if we're uh, on a level that Zechariah was, where you're offering incense in the temple, we have our, our, our doubts and our moments of time. And God stayed with Zechariah. And uh, don't, don't give up on yourself. Don't beat yourself up too bad uh, when you lack faith. Just, just say, boy, I blew it that time. God, uh, I like the guy in the New Testament that said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a good verse to, to memorize. It's an easy one to memorize. It's a good one to live by. And Zechariah, uh, boy, that, that's a comeback there. Look what he had to say. And he's talking about the coming of the Messiah. This was a paradigm shift. This is the only time that, that the Messiah would be born like this in the history of the world. What had been promised to Abraham, he refers to that. See Genesis 12 and 15. What had been looked for throughout the history of God's people what had been foreshadowed in the typology of the Old Testament sacrificial system, what had been uh, the typology of, of, of these uh, people that came and they were a type of Christ in the Old Testament, what everything was leaning toward and looking toward, all of a sudden in our lifetime it's going to happen. It, it says he, he looked at the baby. Where does it say that? And verse 75, he, he's talking in, in 68 through 75, and then it's like he's, he's giving this, and then he looks at his little son, John, not Zechariah, but John, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. Think of the passion. Think of what he's going through. Last time the people had heard from God through a prophet, the last recorded message we have would have been 400 years earlier in Malachi. The last verses, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he says, here's Elijah the prophet. Here's that new Elijah. And now the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. He says, I couldn't tell you before because my, my, uh, my vocal cords weren't working. I'm telling you now. Here's what the angel said. Here's what's coming. Your Messiah is coming. Think of the hope. I tuned in, actually, uh, uh, this, 
I looked it up and, and listened to it again. I like the old version. I don't like the remake uh, movie or anything, but the West Side Story song, Something's Coming. And you think about uh, that guy, Tony. He's going to leave the Jets. He hasn't met Maria yet, but something's coming. Something's coming. Something's coming. And, and Zachariah doesn't know all the details, but something is coming, and there's hope. There's something around the corner, and it's good. What is it? What is it? It's not just an individual life, but this is for the world, uh, the continuity. And here's the event. Here's where the hinge of history turns. And his speech is beautiful. If you, if you take that time to read it as we did and look at it. Up until now, gloom. Up until now, yeah, they're in the promised land, but, but, but they're uh, controlled by, by, by that global tyranny of Rome. It's their land, but it's not their land. And any time uh, they can make a decree and come in and wipe them out off the face of the earth. It's just the same thing. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Uh, That's what was going on. And now history had changed. Verses 68 through 73. Deliverance. Salvation from our enemies. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Uh, you could just take a time and meditate on, that, on that, that phrase about mercy. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. Talked about this with the kids in Sunday school class a while back. We were talking about grace and mercy. And the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And, 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 and grace and mercy are there for us, both of those things. We don't get what we deserve. We do get what we don't deserve. Um, we would consider ourselves uh, some, of the, some of the blessed if we simply got annihilated and didn't have to pay uh, in eternity for our sins. Uh, you, you'd almost take that deal if that's all you could get. But we get more than that. We get grace. We get the unmerited favor. We get God's riches at Christ's expense. Christian, you have grace and mercy for you because of what was coming, because of that change at that point in history. And this birth, this little baby, John, is great in itself, but what it points to is so much more. And that's when we get into a unique salvation. Mostly we think of salvation in terms of the physical. And Zechariah did include some of this in his prophecy. Verse 71, saved from our enemies. And he was thinking about human enemies, of course. We think of our great enemy, death. And we, we see it uh, from this side of the cross and with all of these scriptures and, and with the Holy Spirit helping us we see that our enemies, uh, there, there's some human people that consider themselves our enemies and don't like us, and God's hand is on us to help us there. But we see that greatest enemy is, is, is that specter of death and eternal death. And this salvation is different than the salvation that they expected. They were under the boot of the Romans, and they were ready for the Messiah to come and free them. Some of our physical enemies that we look at. If you took a poll on the street, what's your biggest 
fear? What's your greatest enemy? If you just ask people on the street, uh, they would say physically things like crushing debt. Things like lack of opportunity to be who I, who I, who I want to be, I, to achieve my potential. They would say things like health issues or addiction issues and things like that would be considered the physical enemies. And, and Zechariah says, that's not your greatest enemy. Jesus came to crush your big enemy. These are, these are enemies that, are, that, that are, are, are daunting. But think about what the Messiah will do in your biggest enemy. Some people think of their enemies and think of their salvation they need in terms of emotional. I need an emotional rescue. I need the right woman or the right man to come along and undo what the wrong woman or the wrong man did in the past. And I I need that person to be my God and to help me emotionally. I need an emotional. I, I, I I can live with the debt, I can live with the health, but my emotions are such as I need a savior. I wrote this down. I always like it when I see the bumper stickers. You know, being a kind of a dog lover myself, and, and we've got a, a pet from a pet rescue place, and uh, you see the bumper stickers. I didn't rescue this dog. This dog rescued me. You know what? True. I looked up emotional rescue, and I saw the Rolling Stones song, but I also saw um, emotional rescue horse farm, emotional rescue, whatever. It's amazing everything that names themselves emotional rescue. Well, we need emotional rescue. But we need Jesus. We need, we have a we have bigger fish to fry. Uh, the rest of that comes and helps, and God, God does all of these things for us. But he said, here's the unique salvation. Look at verse um, 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. What a unique salvation. And little baby John would grow up, and he, he's not the Messiah, but he points to the Messiah. What we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas is that change, that change that was wrought on the world, uh, a unique baby, and, and, and Jesus being an even more unique baby uh, than, than John. We talked a little about that with Mary. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating Jesus' birth and Jesus not remaining as a baby and Jesus not just dying as a mere human and Jesus not just getting buried in some grave that is long since forgotten, but Jesus rising, Jesus showing the power over death. That's Christmas. That's salvation. That's the uniqueness of what you've got. Boy, I wish, I wish my name was Santa Claus. And I wish you could all write down what you need the most. And I wish I could provide every little thing for that. Uh, what if I could and did, whether it's physical rescue or emotional rescue? And what if you were fine until you died and went to hell? You need a salvation that is bigger than those things. You need to be right with God. We had to have something because we couldn't save ourselves. And that's what 
this text is talking to and leading up to and pointing to. His death brought us victory over death because his life as a human, tempted like we are, yet without sin, the only qualified one to bear the wrath of God in our place. And he did it. But we had a barn burner on Wednesday. I felt like. Our chapter from uh, Packer's book on the judgment of God. And we talked about hell. And I tell you, I get claustrophobic thinking about hell and what it would be like. Eternity. I said, guys, what would it be like to come to a group like this? Eleven of us there. What would it be like to come to a group like this and not really be a Christian? What would it be like to hear and know? And part of that, that, that just that claustrophobia, it's like, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I need Jesus. I want to I make sure I have my faith in Christ alone for my salvation. I want to repent. I want to acknowledge who I am as, as a person that I fall short of God's glory. And, and I, want, I want heaven. And I want heaven for my loved ones. And I'm not going to stop praying for them. When I get a chance, I'm going to tell them. That's the unique salvation that's being talked about here. A unique birth, a unique period in history, and a unique salvation. And in him we have life. Um, We take all these things and and make sure we're going to think about these more and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help us to think more about these things and we don't just close the book, and go. As we do that, I want to call to mind one thing that John would go on to say later. Uh, All the Gospels talk about John and what he had to share. But there's this one phrase that that, that I think is good for us in this sermon to put the cap on it. And it's, it's where he said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's what happens when people know the Messiah and know who he is. And and we get to think about what's important and what's real and who do we promote and how do we promote it? Who do we bow down to? Whose junk do we we buy that we think is going to make us happy? Who do we listen to? Who do we follow? And you say, no, I'm a Christian. And I know what Jesus has done for me. And I know this is the Messiah. And I know the salvation that he offers is a unique, beautiful, wonderful salvation. I want to live the rest of my life now that I've been saved by him. I want him to increase. And I want myself to decrease. Now, there was a book 15 or 20 years ago. I saw it advertised in the Wall Street Journal. It was a funny book. It wasn't trying to be funny. It was just funny on its own. Um, Building your own brand. This is when social media. And so how you make yourself into a brand. Uh, you're not going to stay with this company long, so you've got to make yourself a brand. And you've got to put these posts out here, and you've got to build your brand. Um, that's counter to Christianity. John said, he increases, I decrease. How do I promote what is true and right and good? And I don't, I don't even want to call Jesus a brand. 
how do I promote God? He must increase, I must decrease. Um, reading the story, I'm sad for all those people who had all the signs and still missed it. And if you're one of those today who's been exposed to the hope of the gospel and are still missing it, I'm sad for you. But there's hope because you're still breathing. Give your life to Christ. Examine Jesus and his claims. Let's pray and go to the Lord's table. Lord, thank you for the hope that's there. Thank you for the joy of Christmas. Thank you that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Thank you for uh, everybody in those early days who you revealed yourself to, every angel you sent to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds in the field. Thank you for the star and those wise men. Thank you for the proclamation of the gospel. Thank you for everything that John uh, said that Jesus would do, and then Jesus came along and did it. Thank you for all of that and how that has spread and gone forth through history. And thank you uh, for the one uh, that, that, that pointed each and every one of us who are Christians to you. We thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the unique salvation of which we get to be a part. In Jesus' name, amen.